0: 24, we're in part two of the response of Job to Eliphaz uh, from the, from the last, Eliphaz's last speech. And uh, he, the, the reason we're in part two is because the first part was in chapter 23. Now we come to the second part in chapter 24. Uh, this is uh, a little different this time because now they're not criticizing. He didn't start out by criticizing them because it's a complete waste of time. Because sometimes people that are completely... Uh, buffoons like these three friends are. You can't really let them know what they are because even if you show them themselves, they don't see it. So he just bypasses that, hadn't done any good. And he focuses on two things. In chapter 23, he gives a case for the sufferer. And now in chapter 24, uh, excuse me, chapter 24, he's going to talk about the sinner. Uh, The different things that happen to sinners. Uh, Remember to set the table here, they are convinced that job is a big sinner because job is going through much trouble. Uh, they are convinced that <clears throat> if Job was righteous, then good things would happen to them uh, to him, but since he obviously was wicked, this bad thing happened to him. Now, are we that naive to think that only good things happen to good people and only bad things happen to bad people? all right no, we know differently amen if you've lived more than five minutes, you know that that's not what happens. Uh, good things happen to bad people, and good things happen to good people, and bad, same thing, verse visa. So uh, you have the, the, uh, the, the, these assumptions that they were going off of, and what Job is doing here in chapter 23, kind of what he did in, in uh, chapter, t- chapter 24, kind of what he did in 22, is talk about, hey, lots of good things happen to wicked people, and he's pointing that out. Now, then he, then Eliphaz responds, oh, okay, yeah, you want to be like those wicked people and, and enjoy all those riches and all that good, good life that they have, and they're just, they're, they're really, really thick-headed friends that have been no help to him at all. But we're going to get to chapter 24 here. I'm going to read a few verses, as I always do, then we'll work through it, and Lord willing, we'll get through the whole chapter in, oh my goodness, 20 minutes, all right. Listen fast, and I'll talk fast. Chapter 24, why seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty? Do they that know him not see his days? Some remove the landmarks. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof. They drive away the ass of the fatherless and take the widow's ox for a pledge. They turn the needy out of the way, and the poor of the earth hide themselves together. Behold, his as wild asses in the deserts go they forth to their work, rising betimes for a prey. The wilderness yieldeth food for them and for their children. Father, I pray you'd help the reading of your word. Use it now in Jesus' name, amen. The second issue he's dealing with here <clears throat> has to do with sinners. The prosperity of sinners and the sinner's apparent lack of punishment. I say apparent because we don't always see the whole picture. Uh, but if we look around like the psalmist did, sometimes we can be discouraged that it seems like wicked people have a much better then, then righteous people do. You know, we pick up don't. But if you pick up People magazine, and you see all the glamour of uh, Hollywood and all and, and all the wickedness that goes there, it just seems like that they're just uh, get all the good come their way. Now we know that at the end, uh, all right, after we close our eyes in death, then everything will be squared away. But we don't often think about that so much when we're looking at the lives of those around us and simply saying, hey, I'm suffering, they're prospering. It's not fair. That's what the psalmist did, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So let's look at the crimes of the sinner is where he starts. Uh, he groups them under two headings. Number one, the pilfering in the crimes, or the stealing. Now, many are the people that steal still today. One estimate says that one out of every 52 shoppers walks out with something without paying for it. Uh, the uh, for every one that's caught, 35 get away with it. What's really tragic is that only 10 percent of shoplifters come from poor, are, are, are considered poor, poverty level. In fact, 70 percent are middle class, and 20 percent would be classified as wealthy. Still shoplifters. Uh, America appears to be a country of thieves. One New Hope Hotel reported that in 10 months. This is what they had to count out as losses due to theft. 38,000 spoons. Why would you steal a spoon from a hotel? Uh, 18,000 towels, 355 silver coffee pots, 1,500 silver finger bowls, and 100 Bibles. Now, if you steal a Bible, I hope you use it, amen? But, in fact, the Gideons are just fine with you taking a Bible out of a hotel. They'll replace it. Uh, I, <clears throat> but we, we, uh, sometimes people just don't feel bad about just taking those things. And I remember when my kids were little, we would, we would go on these, we still do with uh, Mike and such, but motorcycle camping trips, overnight motorcycle camping trips. And, and you have to pack really light when you're on that. And one of the things I would do is we would usually have hot dogs or something like that. And we would stop at a gas station on the way to get a cold drink to take with us. And I would say, now, Get some ketchup packets and get some mustard packets so you don't have to pack it, you know. They gave me all kinds of grief for that, like I'm stealing. Uh, and so I don't know if that's considered stealing, but uh, here he gives some examples of thieving behavior. In fact, seven examples. I'll rush through these because I've got some other points I want to get to. Uh, he said in verse 2 some remove the landmarks. That is, cheating by uh, trying to get more land by moving the landmarks back on another person's fields. All right? So expanding your property line. Some, uh, second, so that was fields. And then there's flocks. They violently take away flocks. Job knew something about this. Remember the Sabians, uh, they, the Chaldeans and the Sabians took his flocks, so he knew that uh, in Job chapter 1. So fields, flocks, and then feed. They violently take away the feed. The thieves need feed to feed what they've stolen, all right? So they take that too. And then fourth, the fatherless. Uh, verse number 3, they drive away the ass of the fatherless. The, the wicked pick on those that are defenseless to defend themselves. They are uh, weak. And uh, I've heard this statement made many times, and I think there's a lot of truth in it. The true measure of a man is seen in how he treats those who can do nothing for him in return. How do you treat those who can do nothing for you? Uh, that's uh, not the wicked. The wicked, are they'll, they'll eat them up. They'll take a, they will uh, treat the defenseless very cruelly. And then number five, fervency. Look at verse five, rising betimes. That word means early. They rise early for prey. They are fervent in their sin. Uh, The wicked get up early to do their dirty work. Have you ever noticed that sin seems a lot more fervent than righteousness? That's why Winston Churchill said a lie will circle the world before truth has a chance to get his pants on. And that's really the idea there that, uh, wickedness is much more fervent than righteousness is, and it shouldn't be, but it is. Evil people's zeal for evil puts shame on righteous people's zeal for righteousness. We ought to have that zeal that they have, and yet they, they, uh, we see ourselves put to shame there. Six, number six, fruit. Look at verse six. They reap everyone his corn in the field, and they gather the vintage of the wicked. The thief harvests the fruit of the fields of others. Evil conquering nations have done this. Remember the story of Gideon? Uh, That's what the whole problem was with the Midianites. The Midianites would swoop in and take all their crops and their harvest and and leave the Israelites with none of it. And then number seven, foreclosure. Look at verse nine. They plucked the fatherless from the breast. When a man dies, his family is in dire straits at that time. Uh, The debt was often paid by the loner taking uh, taking away the widow's children. It was a cruel practice, but we see this in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings chapter 4. Remember Elisha? Uh, he uh, worked with a miracle for a widow that had a situation like this. And then, uh, so not only do we see the pilfering, then we see the pitilessness. Look at verse number 3 and verse 9. The, it's not surprising that what the wicked do, they do without much pity. They don't have a bad conscience about it even. Uh, Verse 3, it says, they take the widow's ox for a pledge. Verse 9 says, they take a pledge of the poor. The wicked here that Job is talking about is that they had no pity for the poor and the needy. They took security uh, that made the situation of the borrower much more difficult. We should always exercise pity to widows and the fatherless and the poor. We ought to have some compassion. (coughs) Wicked don't have it, though. And by the way, let us not be guilty of that, amen, as children of God, as Christians. (coughs) Excuse me, especially as a local church. The mark of a Christian ought to be compassion, especially on the weak, especially on those that need it most. So that it was security, and then they were stingy. Look at verse 4, they turned the needy out of the way. The wicked may put on a big show of charity. Politicians like to do this, but in reality they have no compassion. And then third, the scare. Look at verse number four. The poor of the earth hide themselves together. The wicked person so oppresses the poor that he hides to protect himself. The lack of pity is what's just trying to be shown here. And then fourth, the stripping. Look at verse number seven. They cause the naked to lodge without clothing. Verse number 10 says kind of the same thing. They cause him to go naked without clothing. The wicked would strip off the clothes of the poor to obtain payment on a loan. You Remember, last chapter we talked about a custom they had that when you took a garment for a security or a surety on a loan, uh, Israelite law said you had to give it back at night so they wouldn't be uh, left in the cold. But that's not what the wicked do. They have no pity. They have no mercy on those that need it. And then number five, they deal with the shelters. Verse number eight, they embrace the rock for the want of a shelter. This, we see here that the wicked move the poor out into the street without shelter just to get what's coming to them. Verse numbers, uh, then number six, I'm sorry, it's sustenance. Look at verse 10. They take away the sheaf from the hungry. Barnes puts it this way. The meaning of this is that the hungry are compelled to bear the sheaf for the rich without uh, being allowed to satisfy their hunger from it. So they get to work for them, but not a... you remember what happened in the book of Ruth? Remember... The custom there was, and we can assume that it would have been uh, here as well, the, is to leave the corners for those that come and pick up the poor. And it was kind of a the welfare program of the day, if you will. And then Boaz, because he saw Ruth and said, like Adam when he first saw Eve, whoa, man, and she's been called woman ever since. Uh, so he saw Ruth, and he thought the same thing. And he said, you drop extra for her, all right? And uh, But that's what they did, is left the corners. Not here, no, no. The wicked aren't like that. They make you carry their sheaves and don't give you anything. Then number seven, the salary. Look at verse 11. Which maketh oil, uh, makes, which make oil within their walls and tread their wine presses and suffer thirst. This shows the lack of pity with the wicked in paying them for doing all this work for them. They don't adequately, uh, pay their laborers and they work them long hours. We see this example with many cruel nations and child labor and that kind of thing. Israel knew this kind of slavery when they were in Egypt, by the way. Then we move on to verse number 12. Uh, we talked about the uh, case uh, of the sinner there. <clears throat> and uh, I'm sorry, the crimes of the sinner. Now, now uh, Job's going to focus on the clearance or the fact that they are seem to be not punished for it. Okay, This is his whole point. Look at verse 12. Men groan from out of the city, and the soul of the wounded crieth out, Yet God layeth not folly on them, or to them. This is Job's point, that wicked people are doing great wickedness, and they're not being punished for it. You tell me, three rotten friends, that I'm being punished for my wickedness. Let me demonstrate for you that wickedness is rampant in this world, and they're not necessarily getting punished for it. So just because something bad happens doesn't mean that I'm wicked. Man, we had better not do that ever in the local church. Sometimes we do. Something seriously uh, horrible befalls someone and we start saying, hmm, wonder what they did to deserve that. That's not the case at all, okay? Remember, Job is being judged for his righteousness, not his, Not he's not being judged, but you understand what I'm saying. All this befell him because of his righteousness. God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And then Satan brought all this on him because he was good, not because he was bad. We better not make that mistake. Sometimes the wicked, though, are cleared in the courts of men for obvious crimes. We know that. Um, O.J. Simpson is all you have to say for that. I mean, you've got enough money, you can get out of those situations. Uh, sometimes it seems that God also has cleared them from charges because they're not punished. Now, again, I say seems... God will get his due, amen? He'll, he'll set things right. But we, looking on, sometimes we would like to see, you know, th- this is where we'll, Lord, I'll step away so that you can send the lightning now, anytime. But God doesn't send the lightning right away sometimes. Sometimes the, they'll go on and live well for a while. But the Bible encourages the righteous that this apparent clearing of the wicked is just that, is just apparent. They will get theirs in the end. But the punishment, really, this is another way we have to look at it. I forget who said it. I didn't write it down. It just now came to me. But uh, one, there's a, some big preacher from the past. He said, of course, God's people are the ones that get the most trials because who else is able to handle them? <laughs> they have God with them, okay? Uh, but the punishment is delayed from wicked people to give them further opportunity to repent. And uh, failure to repent assures them divine punishment in the end that we wouldn't wish on anybody. Okay, So we ought to utilize the time, don't miss this now, we ought to utilize the time to reach them, not resent them. Uh, we ought to use this time to try to, uh, try to reach those that are getting away with it in their own mind, because that's what wicked people think they do. They think they get away with it, and they're not going to get away with it. But we ought to, I think sometimes we as Christians, if we're not careful, we resent them so much that we're not trying to reach them anymore. The psalmist went through this in Psalm 73. He was troubled about the prosperity of the wicked. And then he said, until I saw their end. Then he's not troubled about it anymore. Because what they have coming is so far worse than anything that... And by the way, that is not something we ought to ever take pleasure in. We ought not thinking, yeah, you'll get yours one day. That's not how we ought to look at it at all. Let's have the compassion of the Savior. And then look at the contempt by the sinner. Look at verse number 13. There of those that rebel against the light, they know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the paths thereof. The wicked have great contempt for the ways of God. The troubles of Job... The right, uh, and the righteous, uh, or, or I'm sorry, this this troubles Job specifically. It, it troubles the righteous even today. We look around and we, we hate to see the contempt for God. A, uh, it, it's all over in our nation. We, we talk about this a lot on Sunday morning, uh, Memorial Day weekend, and so we usually talk something about uh, our country and our nation. We're preaching on America on fire on uh, Sunday morning so you don't miss that. Uh, this is uh, not something that that uh, should trouble us as much sometimes as it does, but it does trouble us, the contempt that they have for God. I remember my dad, when I got my first job working at Hardee's, and uh, they, it was my first real exposure to, I didn't go to public school as a high schooler, and uh, so I, I heard things that are just shocked. I remember telling my dad one night how, how horrible people talk and the things they talk about, and I was just shocked by it all. And uh, he said, you know, it's really, what's really shocking is that people aren't worse than they are. I mean, they're lost. What do we expect of them? What do you expect for people that don't have the Bible to guide them? They don't have the Lord in their life. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So we really, sometimes we expect more than we should. They're, look at their thirst for cruelty. The murderer riseth with the light. This, or, this is in verse 14. That shows, uh, shows their zeal for evil again. The type of cruelty, the murderer killeth. This is bloody cruelty. Uh, sometimes the wicked rename murder and killing to make it more acceptable. Abortion, euthanasia, doesn't make it more acceptable. Uh, the target of the cruelty, in verse 14, killeth the poor and needy. They're the Again, here you're talking about the ones most helpless to defend themselves, and so they're the ones attacked. It always just... Irritates me to no end when, when uh, the the type of people that that uh, killers and and these wicked people will attack, uh, like Pastor mentioned, who shoots elementary children? Really? Go go pick on someone your own size and age. You know, picking on people that are weak. Then uh, the the uh, corruption of the sinner, verse fifteen. The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me and disguiseth his face. Oh, the wicked don't have morals. Morally, they're corrupt through and through. Hollywood's an example of this corruption. But four things are said about the corruption of the wicked in this verse, and I'll close with this tonight. Defilers, defilers, they are, uh, he calls them an adulterer. Adultery defiles. And those who advocate adultery defile society. Uh, Look at the second one, darkness. It waiteth for the twilight. Evil likes to do its work in the dark. Amen? It always does. That's how it is. Uh, Sin loves the dark. That's why bars are dimly lit. I don't go to bars, but Brother West was telling me about it. Uh, (laughs) I hadn't got him tonight yet. I I was just... it just All right, anyway, we'll move on. More homes are broken into at night. Uh, concerts, wicked concerts, dark. That's why it concerns me. All right, I'm going to get a little tangent here. It concerns me. A lot of churches now, are, the, con, the, the auditorium's dark. Just the pulpit as light. That just bothers me. I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with it or they're trying to do wicked. That just bothers me. Why darken things up? You know, first of all, I can't see when you're sleeping. I wouldn't let that happen anyway. But uh, so there's defilers, there's darkness. And then then here's the delusion, the delusion saying, no, I shall see me. The one who thinks evil done in darkness will never be seen is deluded. All right. Nothing can be concealed from the eyes of God. Man may not see the deed, but God sees the deed. Sin is impossible to conceal. Eventually it will be revealed. Numbers chapter 32 verse 23, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Satan's lie is that you can sin and no one will know. That is not true. That is delusion. But I like the bleeding of the sheep. I love that story with uh, Saul. Yep, I killed everyone. Am- I killed all the Amorites because go- you had to kill all the Amorites. You had to kill all their cattle. had to kill everything. And then Saul's like, what's these uh, sheep I hear bleeding here in the background? Because the bleeding of the sheep gave him away. But uh, it will find you out. Now, your sin might find you out in different ways. It might create anger and bitterness and a loss of peace in your life, but it'll find you out. And then the fourth one here, disguise. Disguiseth his face, it says. This is another illustration of how sin likes to be concealed. Sin wears many disguises to get the innocent to think it's not sin. It seems like we're masters of this today. We rename stuff. These are just humorous here, but you don't fail a test. You're passing impaired. Your child isn't lazy. He's energetically declined. You're not sleeping in church. You're rationing consciousness. You're not having a bad hair day. You're suffering from rebellious follicle syndrome. It's not called gossip. It's the speedy transmission of near factual information. But we do this with sin and it's not so funny when we do it with sin. It's not sin now. It's a syndrome. you notice that lately. We exploit the poor. We call it lottery. We reward laziness. We call it welfare. We kill the unborn. We call it a choice. It's not pornography. It's adult entertainment. It's not drunkenness. It's a sickness. Uh, You know, the what's the answer to all of this is that we call sin what it is. We just call it what it is. And we don't try to rename it. No disguises and no darkness will ever keep sin from being known to God. He's going to get it no matter how we like to uh, pour sugar over top of it. All right. If God knows, then anyone can know. Uh, And one day everybody will know. Nathan and David's adultery, not Nathan's adultery, David's adultery and Nathan showing up on the scene. That's a excellent, uh, nobody told Nathan about it. God let him know. Uh, So, so I always try to tell, that's one thing I tell my children about tithing. Um, If you're going to steal, don't steal from someone who sees everything and knows everything. Amen. That's a smart thing, right? If I am going to steal money from someone, I'm going to steal from somebody who won't know about it. But if you, tithe, if you steal your tithe, you're stealing from somebody who sees all and knows all. and That's not a very smart thing. All right. Uh, got to end there. But we get to the craftiness of the sinner, verses 16 and 17. They, in the dark, they did through houses. There it is again, working in the dark. Uh, the, uh, John 3:20, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. <laughs> Neither cometh to the light. The consequences on the sinner. Uh, he goes into verse 18. Uh, and and it just continues on here Uh, talks about the the different things and I guess we don't have time for that but uh, uh, it's a great chapter it reminds us if we come to the end of it what the answer is to all of this just live righteously Amen. just live doing right you can avoid all of these different things uh, that it talks about 19 uh, through verse 25 uh, all these horrible things that happen uh, to the wicked and the consequences of the wicked, they try to avoid it, they try to hide it, they try to do it in the dark, they will not get away with it, and when we see them get away with it for a while, we can get discouraged, as the psalmist did, and as Job did, and as his friends mistakenly thought about him, Uh, but they won't get away with it forever, and uh, sometimes God's grace is extended on them, and so, as I mentioned before, let's not resent them, let's reach them, amen? Amen? Father, thank you for this.